Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7. Isaiah, chapter 7. Reading verse 14, just by way of introduction, Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And our subject uh, this evening is having God with us. Well, we continue to explore this uh, wonderful book of the prophet Isaiah, and uh, we've only just begun, really, uh, but we've already seen great prophecies of Christ, and uh, we will again this evening see a great prophecy of Christ, but there have also been many practical things that we can learn from this book, uh, many warnings that have been issued and uh, shall be issued, and things that we as Christian people must learn from, and uh, uh, things for us to avoid so that we don't experience the same uh, troubles and the same woes that Judah and Israel experience in this book. So uh, we come week by week, particularly in this first half of the book of Isaiah, uh, really with a heart to learn and be challenged uh, by the things uh, that we consider. So uh, this has been the nature of the book of Isaiah so far, and it will be uh, this uh, evening also. But uh, we begin uh, with the first verse of uh, chapter 7. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remalia, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. Now, there is a, a fair bit of history for us uh, to consider this evening, uh, all uh, reliable history, of course, and verifiable history from the Bible, true history, in other words, and uh, backed up by other portions of Scripture, which we'll consider as we go through. But uh, this is simply what is happening here. Uh, we all know, I trust, that the, uh, the children of Israel, the Israelite nation, uh, well, they had, of course, initially been one nation uh, under King David and King Solomon. But uh, under the reign of Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the kingdom uh, divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and uh, the southern kingdom was called Judah. Judah consisting of only uh, two of the twelve tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Uh, but they had Jerusalem. Judah was where uh, Jerusalem was located. So uh, Israel split, divided around 975 BC. But uh, what is happening here uh, in this chapter, what we see here is the, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, which is being led by a military commander by the name of Pekah. He has joined uh, forces with Syria in an alliance against Judah, against the southern kingdom. 
and uh, and they together, Syria and Israel, are attacking Judah. This is what we read. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. So that's Judah, the southern kingdom. But Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it. So the king of Syria and the king of Israel have joined forces, an alliance against uh, Judah. And uh, they go toward Jerusalem to war against it, but they will not uh, be victorious. And we're going to uh, look at how that uh, is uh, in the coming verses. Uh, but uh, uh, at the time of the attack, well, uh, Israel, or rather Judah, I should say, is uh, uh, very worried, very scared. Verse 2, and it was told, the house of David, it was told uh, to Ahaz, the king of Judah, uh, saying, Syria is confederate, is in alliance with Ephraim, or Israel. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. So uh, Ahaz, the king of Judah, is referred to as the house of David. He's being told that Syria and uh, Israel are coming after him, as it were. Israel is referred to as Ephraim, and uh, this should be uh, familiar to us in the book of Judges that uh, uh, we considered for a number of months. We noted how Ephraim was very often the, uh, the largest and most influential tribe and uh, sadly puffed up with pride for a lot of the time. But uh, the northern kingdom was at times referred to simply as Ephraim. And uh, well, Ahaz, the, the king of Judah, when he hears of this uh, threat, his heart is moved and the heart of his people, they're scared, they're shaken as the trees of the wood are shaken by the wind, are moved with the wind. That's how it's put. So there is uh, fear and uh, there is worry. And then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. So uh, the Lord sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz, and uh, Isaiah goes with his son, Shear Jashub. Now, Shear Jashub, that name means the remnant shall return. The remnant shall return. And uh, you will remember at the end of the previous chapter, at the end of chapter 6, uh, a remnant in Israel is spoken of. Uh, if we just look at the end of chapter 6, verse 11, Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate and the Lord have removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land, but yet in it shall be a tenth and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak. So that passage was speaking about... Uh, uh, Judah being taken into captivity and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but a tenth, a remnant, will uh, be saved. But even from that remnant, there will be an even smaller remnant that will remain, and so on and so on. So uh, the message 
ultimately is that, uh, well, Israel, there will always be an Israel, uh, but it will, uh, it will be a remnant only that will be saved from it. And that ultimately speaks of the salvation of souls, a remnant according to the election of grace. And, uh, well, this is the name of uh, Isaiah's son, Shir Jashub, the remnant shall return. So Isaiah and his son, they go to meet Ahaz at uh, what appears to be the city's water supply, the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And verse 4, and they say unto him, take heed and be quiet, fear not, one of the many, fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and of the son of Ramalia. So don't be afraid of uh, the king of Syria and the king of Israel. They are like two smoking firebrands. In other words, they are like two uh, smoking embers that are about to be put out by the Lord. They're just smoking and uh, they will soon be extinguished by God. And verse 5, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeel. Well, this is just detailing the wicked scheme that uh, the king of Syria uh, particularly has for Judah and Jerusalem. They want to set up a puppet king the son of Tabeel, and that name really uh, means good-for-nothing, a good-for-nothing king, not really a, a true king, just one who is set up to obey Syria and uh, uh, to uh, do whatever he is told to do. But well, in verse 7, Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, and within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. Well, Israel, the northern kingdom, will be broken. Ephraim will be broken. And uh, this is uh, uh, not just speaking about how uh, 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 Samaria would fall, in 722 BC under Sargon II, but uh, through the introduction of colonies by uh, uh, the Assyrian king Esar Haddon, the son of Sennacherib, there would be a great influx of foreigners intermarrying with the remaining Jews in the northern kingdom, and this would be the start of the Samaritans. Remember the Samaritans who were so despised in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, this was what happened. The northern kingdom, well, it was uh, overcome by the Assyrians, and then it was colonized. And so the remaining Jews, they were uh, intermingling, intermarrying with those from foreign lands. And that is uh, how the Samaritans came into being, half Gentile, half Jew. And because of that, they were despised. And uh, this is uh, what is being referred to here, that it be not a people. Ephraim shall be broken within threescore and five years, 65 years. 
And uh, verse 9, And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Well, now suddenly, uh, in the midst of this historical uh, account, suddenly words of faith are being mentioned. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Faith, the necessity for faith, is being mentioned here before these next few verses that we shall consider. Because this is what ought to have set Judah apart. Faith, of course. You see, what is being described here is uh, the following. Uh, Isaiah has said that uh, the leader, the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, King Rezin, and the head of Ephraim of Israel is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son, that's uh, Pekah. So those are the heads of Israel and Syria. Who is the head of Judah? Now this focus is going to be uh, established. We've heard about the head of Syria, the head of Israel. Who is the head of Judah? And of course the head of Judah is the Lord. And uh, the prosperity and the success of Judah depends on how much the people trust in the Lord and how much the people exercise faith in the Lord. This is really what is uh, uh, being communicated here. These uh, military commanders, these armies, they are the heads of their nations. But are you going to look to your head? The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, he is your head. You must have faith in him. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. It's the importance of faith. And well, of course, it's the same for us, of course, in our lives as uh, individuals, as a church. It's the Lord who's in charge. It's the Lord who is the head of this church not the uh, pastor, that's what we declare at uh, uh, baptism services. This baptism is according to the commandment of Christ, who is the head of this church. That's what we say. So the pastor, yes, is the under-shepherd, but it is uh, the Lord, it's Christ who is the one who is in charge. And our prosperity as a church and our success, if I can put it that way, as a church, or our peace as a church, is entirely dependent upon faith in Christ, faith in the Lord. That is how we prosper. That is how we are blessed. We don't look to the arm of flesh. And this is going to be uh, the theme as we go deeper into this chapter. These other nations, they're, they're looking to themselves, their armies, their commanders, their heads. Who do we look to? Who is our head? It's God. And faith is mentioned. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. The approach of Judah ought to be very different to those of their enemies. It's based on faith, on believing and trusting in the Lord. So this is what the uh, prophet is saying here. You must be entirely dependent upon God and have faith in him. 
But Judah or Ahaz uh, does not fully uh, understand this. And we shall uh, see this in these uh, next few verses. Verse 10, moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Well, uh, perhaps this is because uh, Ahaz, the king of Judah, uh, maybe doubts that Isaiah is a true prophet. And so Isaiah is saying, if you doubt my word, well, uh, if you doubt my credentials, the Lord will give you a sign or some assurance of some kind for your own peace of mind. This is not necessarily a miracle, a dazzling miracle, so as to uh, amaze Ahaz. This is something simply to assure him, to give him peace of mind, a pledge of the truth of what is being said, something to convince him of uh, the Lord's will and of the Lord's deliverance. Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. If there are any doubts, ask the Lord. But look at verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Well, this is uh, not a worthy response of Ahaz. It may seem like a worthy response, but he says, neither will I tempt the Lord. Isaiah is not asking him to tempt the Lord. Isaiah is asking him to trust the Lord, to trust the Lord, to save you. But Ahaz, he does not want to. And this will become more apparent as we go through and consider the context. Ahaz does not want to trust the Lord. And the reason is because he would rather trust in other powers, in the powers of men, the Assyrians. He will ask, and we'll consider this in just a few moments, he asks the Assyrians to bail him out of trouble. And uh, this is why he is reluctant to seek the Lord's help, to seek the Lord's deliverance. I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. The Lord is there, the Lord is calling to him, but uh, Ahaz will not ask. Well, sometimes... This is uh, how even we can behave, even as believers. Sometimes there's a great difficulty, a great challenge in our lives. And, uh, well, we know what to do. The Spirit urges us. The Spirit within us urges us to bring it to the Lord. Pray to Him. Trust in Him. And sometimes we don't want to. We're reluctant because we think that earthly means are better. And we want to do things our own way. We want to do things perhaps in an unspiritual way, an easy way, one that doesn't require believing and faith and patience. We don't really want to do it that way. So we won't really earnestly seek the Lord's help. We don't want to. We'll make our excuses. I don't want to, to tempt the Lord when really that's, what we should be doing, not tempting the Lord, but seeking his face and crying out for help and seeking his solution to our difficulties and to our problems. But Ahaz, he's made his mind up. 
I'm not going to go the Lord's way this time. I'm not going to go the spiritual route, the way of believing and trust. I'm going to go to the Assyrians. Much more certain, much more sure of help. The fleshly arm, I'll go to the Assyrians, to men, to the world. And so uh, this is uh, what he does. And uh, uh, this is very sad. I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And verse 13, and he said, Isaiah said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Well, uh, it seems that Isaiah is weary of uh, Ahaz's unbelief or reluctance. But he's also saying to Ahaz, you know, you're not just wearying me, you're wearying God also. It's an offense to God also. Your, uh, your reluctance to turn to him, that's an offense to God. You're saying you don't want to tempt him as though you're honoring him, but actually you're wearying your God. This is an offense. And so, well, verse 14, then we have these words. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. If Ahaz doesn't want to ask for a sign, the Lord is going to give him one. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to, to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Now these words, in part, they apply to the situation that immediately faces Isaiah and Ahaz. But a great part of these words, of course, is pointing to the future. The Lord is saying to Ahaz and to Judah that Judah will be delivered. This is what is being communicated here. There will be deliverance for Judah. Why? Why will there be deliverance? Well, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is why God will help Judah. Why? Because of the promised Messiah. Because of Christ who is yet to come. This is why the Jews will not disappear entirely. For Christ's sake. Because of him. Because it is through the nation. Through the line of David that Christ will come. So the Lord is saying there is deliverance for Judah and this is the reason. One day, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is, of course, meaning God with us. And we know that this prophecy is referred to in the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, you don't have to turn to it, but we know these words very well. Matthew chapter 1 and uh, uh, verses uh, 22 and 23, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. These are, of course, uh, the verses uh, concerning the angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph, who is scared to take Mary for his wife. But the angel comes and says, this is the fulfilling of scripture. This is what Isaiah said. Be not afraid to take Mary as your wife. And so uh, these things, well, this is the reason why Judah will be spared because of that day. Because of that day when Christ will be born. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is why mercy is shown to Judah on this occasion. But then in the, uh, uh, the second part of the prophecy, as it were, verses 15 and 16, now this is referring more specifically to the matter at hand, to the threat posed by Syria and uh, Israel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Now, uh, uh, this is uh, basically uh, speaking about uh, uh, the trial that will come upon uh, Judah. They will be attacked. They will be reduced to uh, the most basic uh, diet, butter and honey. There will be difficult times. But what is being said here is that in the short time that it takes for a boy, a child, to reach the age of moral responsibility, to refuse evil and choose good, in that short time it takes, 12, 13 years, that's uh, normally the time when the Jews recognize that a boy or a child was able to, uh, to know evil and, and choose good. In that short time, well, your enemies will be gone. So you, you will face trial, you will face difficulty, but in a short time, just 12, 13 years, your enemies will be gone. The land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. And well, this is, of course, in keeping with the teaching of Scripture. Trials for the Lord's people can be severe, but they are never long in the grand scheme of things. And this is what is being spoken of here. 12, 13 years and the trial will, uh, uh, will be gone. But this is, well, this is the message of these uh, verses. God would be with the people. God was with them. God will be with them if they exercised faith. And if they did not, if they did not believe, Surely ye shall not be established. And sadly, well, Ahaz did not believe. Now we have to turn just very quickly to uh, the second book of Kings and chapter 16 because uh, uh, we will see uh, how uh, uh, Ahaz uh, did not turn to the Lord and turn to earthly means. Second Kings chapter 16 and uh, from verse 5, this is exactly what we've been looking at 
In Isaiah chapter 7, 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 5. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war. So this is what we've been considering this evening. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. So we know this. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drave the Jews from Elath, and the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. But this is what Ahaz did. Did he look to the Lord? No. Verse 7, so Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. So instead of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I am thy servant, and humbling himself before his God, he goes to Tiglath-Pileser, saying, I am thy servant, come and help me. By the way, uh, again, I mentioned this was verifiable history. You will be able to see a, a portrait of Tiglath-Pileser if you go to the British Museum. I know some of you know these things very well, but this is all true history, by the way. But then look at verse 8, it gets worse. And Ahaz, the king of Judah, took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. So those things that belong to the Lord, those things that have been consecrated to God, he takes it and sends it for a present to the king of Assyria because he trusts more in him. And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Kir and slew Rezin. And uh, well, we won't go through the whole passage, but verse 10, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and uh, saw an altar that was at Damascus, and uh, later on we read of uh, how uh, King Ahaz, well, he uh, takes more of the treasures of, from the Lord's house and uh, the brazen altar and so on. All of these things to pay tribute to the king of Assyria. Now, in some ways, Ahaz was helped. Well, he, uh, uh, he benefited the king of Assyria slew uh, Damascus, slew Rezin, we read. But when we turn back to Isaiah uh, chapter 7, well, there are consequences. Verse 17, The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria, or by the king of Assyria. There is going to be a trial that will not come, that you have not seen since the division of the kingdom. And why? Because of the king of Assyria, because of how you have turned to him. And verse 18, And it shall come to pass in, the day, in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, and they shall come and shall rest all of them in the desolate valleys and in the holes of the rocks and upon all thorns and upon all bushes. 
So they will be oppressed, not actually invaded in this case, but they will be oppressed by Assyria, by foreign peoples and armies, the uh, Egyptians and uh, the Assyrians also. The Lord shall hiss, or in other words, the Lord uh, uh, whistles as if to summon, to summon those from foreign lands to oppress Judah. Remember, the Lord is over all of this. This is not something that is beyond his control. This is a judgment upon Judah. And so the land uh, is likened to, uh, well, it's as, as though the Egyptians are flies and the Assyrians are bees. They are like swarms. They're infesting the land. The land will be infested with those who do not know the Lord. This is the great judgment and there'll be no place to hide, verse 19, from the oppression. And then verse 20, And the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired, namely by them beyond the river by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it shall also consume the beard. The forcible shaving of the beard was a great insult for the Jews. And, uh, well, to shave the head... And the beard, it was also a sign of mourning. That was what somebody did when they were in great lamentation. And so this is the nature of the judgment. There will be humiliation, there will be mourning, and the quality of life will uh, diminish. It's not that they are in abject poverty, but they're not in any great prosperity either. And it shall come to pass, verse 21, in that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep. It's enough for them, but it's uh, greatly reduced from what they were used to. There's no crops. There's uh, uh, nothing that's being bought and sold. They're literally just living off the land. That's what they're reduced to. So this is the judgment. And, uh, well, all of these things... We won't go through all of the uh, woes, as it were, but all because the nation would not look to the Lord. This is why it takes its eyes off the Lord and it looks to other things. Well, what a, what a lesson for us. Maybe our nation will not look to the Lord, will not trust in God, but we as the church must. We rejoice to know that God is with us. We rejoice to have the word of God. We rejoice to have the presence of God with us. We rejoice to have the power of God with us. And when we have the power of God with us, well, we can do all things. All of these things are available to us, but we must have faith. That is the important thing. This is what the prophet Isaiah has said, that we must believe. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. But if we will believe, we shall be established. We shall be rooted. We will not be able to be moved. We will stand strong and we will indeed go from strength to strength. It's so often the faith that we lack. The power is there. The strength is there. The Lord calls us to seek him. 
So may the Lord bless and help us that we will not turn to our own strength or to the strength of any other created being, but we will turn to the Lord. So these are the lessons that we see here in Isaiah chapter 7, things that we must learn, warnings to us, otherwise there will be times of desolation, times of reduced blessing, greatly reduced and diminished blessing and joy. But look to the Lord and all will be well. Well, may the Lord bless these things to us.